Welcome to Marketing Tales with Chris Raposo, a podcast created to spotlight and highlight marketers, tell their stories, and share their knowledge with those interested in all things marketing. If you're interested in more than just the cut and dry strategies and tactics and want to learn more about the human side of his guests and how they got to where they are today, then this show is for you. How do you identify the right communities to engage with when promoting an institution? I think the first thing you need to ask yourself is how how are you going to insert yourself into that community? Um, let me think about it. If like if, if a community is almost like this sort of desert island, right, or island in the sea, and if you just rock up there one day, sort of telling people what you do and trying to insert yourself into it, it ain't going to go well, right? <laughs> They're going to ask you to leave. So I think the the first thing to do is yeah do your research and work out what the audience fit is and you can tell that by not you know getting involved in the community you can usually just see it from like a bird's eye view can't you um, but when it comes to engaging with this community you probably shouldn't start out by promoting what you're about I think the first um, principle you should deploy is you know thinking about the audience who live there you know what what would they find valuable. Um, and I'd probably argue, just like a content marketing strategy, if, if you're trying to get influence in these places and be someone who is respected there, you're looking at between six and 18 months, right? You know, this is how long these things take and, you know, trust can't be rushed. Um, mm. And I certainly can't think of any good um, marketing strategies that have kind of started by just kind of hitting the community on the head until they make a decision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Tales Show with Chris Raposa. Today, I have the pleasure to welcome Kyle Campbell to the show. Kyle, welcome. Hello, how's it going? Very good. Thank you so much for joining from all the way from England today. It's always exciting. So I did a little bit of research on you, like I always do. That's kind of like my icebreaker question. Um, so you have a degree in English and Creative Writing from, is it Fulmouth University? And yeah, you're Falmouth, yeah. Falmouth, okay. And you're currently the founder and managing director of the education marketer. So let's start with the icebreaker question. What made you want to get into marketing and specifically in the higher ed industry? I mean, I've I've always loved higher education. I mean, I, I had a fantastic time as a as a student. Um and I think it's something to do with like my sort of likes and dislikes personality, really. I mean, you know, some people really hate working on the dissertation and doing research i i happen to love it um and when i went into marketing after higher ed i always sort of missed that environment um so eventually like the right job came up in higher ed and you know beforehand i worked in a marketing agency and i decided i was going to make the the jump into he as a sector and i just fell in love with it really i mean for me as a person who likes learning you have this sort of rich media around the higher ed industry and all the ins and outs and all the data and the insight and then you have the marketing angle on top of that and it's just this kind of unique combination of you know two different uh, like sectors coming together to form something really deep and interesting so I mean that's how I found my sort of love in it and you know I did a decade as a as a marketer in, in higher ed before I went off and started my own company, which is education marketer. 
Okay. Yeah. It's, it's always uh, relevant and important to find something you love and then go all in with that. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed since I've started in the higher ed industry as on the vendor side, the collaboration within higher ed marketers is so incredible. People like to share ideas, bounce ideas off of each other, you know, mm -hmm. and not keep it to themselves. So I, I appreciate that about higher ed. Yeah. Um, touched on the higher ed marketer, your, your company. So can you tell us a little bit about that company, why you started it and what do you offer? Yeah, again, I think it's the the root of it came from my own interest for learning. I mean, I always found when I worked in universities as an, an employee, the the last thing on the agenda always was your your own personal development, which I found a little bit ironic considering that we're about learning and, and education. So for high, for education marketer, my my thinking was, well, what would the ideal learning package look like for people like me an education marketer and I hit upon this idea of you know it's not about going to conferences necessarily it's not about downloading white papers it's all very piecemeal that approach and the things that makes your your insights stick is when you consistently immerse yourself in a topic so the company started as a, a weekly newsletter um when I went full time, I, I started a podcast off the back of that. And as you know, I post in LinkedIn daily. And the whole idea about it is that people can dip into it when they want. And over time, they can build up that knowledge rather than downloading a white paper that they never quite get around to on, on the desktop. And, you know, you can access all that for free. You know, the newsletter is free to sign up to. You can read about uh, the stuff I post on LinkedIn daily for free if you want the the way that the business works is if a university or a you know a company selling into higher education wants a a membership package they can sign up to that and I'll deliver something more bespoke and tailored to their, those organizations again over a course of a year so it's an immersive learning package but yeah it's uh it's been great could I get to be geeky and look at all this stuff and and people get to learn off the back of it as well so it's a happy uh combination yeah, it's it's a great approach, and that's how you also build out your network. That's how I came in touch with you because of your mutual our mutual friend Bart Kayla and Troy Singer. They introduced me to you. That's mm -hmm. how we ended up on a roundtable discussion together, and now we're here on this podcast. You know, because you give that knowledge for free daily on LinkedIn, and that's a new approach these days when it comes to marketing. Uh, add value, add value, add value, mm -hmm. and people, you know, you stay top of mind, and they come to you um, because they trust you. Yeah. You're 100% right. I mean, you know, content is marketing these mm -hmm. days. Um, for me, the two aren't, they aren't separate. And, you know, we still run marketing campaigns and, and I get that. But, you know, if you really want to be the person that someone thinks of when they've got a problem, you, you, you kind of have to show up pretty regularly and add value to their, to their lives or at least their, their profession. Yeah. Absolutely. So when we when we planned this this podcast episode, we talked about some of your interests, one of which is student to student and community marketing. So let's speak on that a little bit during this podcast. Can you explain what student to student and community managing is and why they're important strategies in higher ed marketing? Yeah, I mean, at the most basic level, and I think for any organization, there's there's definitely been this shift now to you know your customers the marketer and if you're not using your brand as a platform to raise the profile of the of the customer voice you're you're missing out because we've seen probably over the last well of the history of marketing really i mean that marketing started out in a place where the brand had all this control and 
you know, to access information about products, you had to go through a gateway that was controlled by the brand, whether that's a sales representative or whatever it was. But over the years and because of like the explosion in the internet, all of this stuff is now publicly available. And when a you know prospect gets in touch with you, if you're, you're in higher education, a student, they, they probably learned everything they need to learn about you before they have that conversation. And for me, this is where the peer to peer angle comes in and, you know, ideally to share that information and to give that extra layer of insight to a customer, to a student, they, they want to have a conversation with someone like themselves. that's in a similar part in the journey. And as a brand, as a, as a university, we really need to be facilitating those conversations or they will happen anyway, without you in the loop. It's probably better if they happen on your website where you at least have some element of control. So on the peer-to-peer angle yeah it's it's like platforms like unibuddy the ambassador platform or whatever the community side of that's a little bit more complicated because that's where you give up a lot more control um these are conversations that happen on third-party websites and different forums and we'll probably touch on those in a bit but that's the area that probably requires a lot more uh sort of faith and a bit more strategic thinking at the, at the same time Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I've heard it on the Higher Ed Marketer podcast, the Zemi app. I think that's one of them. It's like a community app for students um, to talk about if, you know, to meet other students that are interested in a particular school, you know, to yeah. share ideas, bounce back uh, experiences, whether they have been to campus or not, and if somebody else wants to know more about it. Um, but yeah, it's all about that social proof and that trust and mm. people buy from people and not from companies right so if you have somebody that's like your your friend i'd go to my friend first to ask um you know yeah. how they experience an institution or you know that's why platforms like um glassdoor are so uh relevant these days when people look for a job but i don't want to get off topic so let's stay here so how do you implement a successful student to student marketing strategy could you share some of the key steps and considerations yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly. I mean, you know, just bouncing off at the back of your your last comment there, you mentioned Zimi. Um, they have this wonderful understanding of peer to peer. Uh, in as much as when you're setting up some of these strategies, our default view is to uh, set up a peer to peer conversation between a prospective student and a, a current student. But actually, through Unibody's research and through Zimi's research, that's not what a student understands is a peer-to-peer conversation. The the understanding of peer-to-peer is um, uh, with someone else at a similar point in the journey. I think Unibody revealed that 56% of students wanted to speak to, um, uh, they found it more valuable to speak to another prospective student at, considering the same institution than actually a student who was already already there. So I think that's the first thing you need to work out is when you're setting these peer-to-peer strategies is you know what conversations are you trying to facilitate because you might put a lot of emphasis on like saying, oh, we need to get our students to talk to prospects, mm-hmm. but actually that might not be the the prospects, uh, the, the the student or the type of person that that student wants to to hear from. There's other ways as well. And I think an overarching theme for me, um, when thinking about community strategies, peer-to-peer strategies is, you know, what do we understand a, a community as? And quite often in marketing, when we say the word community, our brains lock into this idea of a digital channel and it's not necessarily like that Uh, you know community is kind of where you cross paths with your audience so 
it might be in the comments on a YouTube video. It might be in a forum on someone else's site. Um, it might be in conversations that happen at a, a recruitment event. It's 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 all over the place. Um, so what you want to do as part of these strategies is put a, a layer on top of that. Maybe you run like a a weekly um, digital community event, so you can start to channel some of that um, enthusiasm into into one place. So. If you're engaging with with applicants, you know, rather than sending them out like a series of comms, maybe you offer them, uh, you know, a digital event they can join every couple of weeks on a different topic that's relevant to them. And the conversation happens in the chat. They continue to talk to each other. It's about facilitating those sort of moments. At the other end of the spectrum, maybe it's about alumni, right? Yep. Um, we see tons of alumni newsletters going out, but there's very rarely some kind of community engagement going on as as part of that there's a school in the uk called hyper island that has its alumni uh, write this this newsletter for everyone to sign up to and read so there's all kinds of different ways you can you can approach it um but i think the wrong thing to do would be to lock it down to a single channel and a single group and just think if you had everything happen in one place that's the solution it's really taking a broader view and trying to facilitate those conversations and those connections between students and as many different uh, touch points as possible okay yeah there was an interesting interesting statistic you shared from unibody that their um students current students aren't as influential as the ones that are also on their journey because yeah. you what i learned in journalism school was you always when you read a piece you always want to consider the source where does the information come from? And since those students are already implemented in that institution, they have a certain bias towards it, right? Yeah. So yeah. And those prospective students know that, uh, in, in, that that this is happening. So they want somebody from the outside that has the same perspective from outside looking in, not from inside talking at me. Um, yeah. But uh, so let's talk a little bit more about the roles of student ambassadors or influencers and how they play in to the student-to-student marketing strategy. How do you select those students and how do you support these individuals if you go that route? Yeah, I, I mean, it's an important thing to consider because, you know, often when we think about creators and influencers, we tend to focus on those student content creators that we have in, in-house. in And, you know, often the most potential in um, ambassador market, in uh, influencer marketing doesn't doesn't come from that smaller group. Um I can think of a great university that's it's got its head around this. It's um, it's in Prague. It's called Anglo-American University. And they've partnered with a, a TikTok influencer who has dri- driven them like 61 applications in a year for like an official partnership. And, you know, the reason the university discovered that influencer and then partners with her was because they noticed on applications coming into university, students were consistently writing down this influencer's name as a means of which they discovered that institution. So, you know, the first thing you need to do really, if you're trying to find these people is how about you just look in your CRM and see if they're being mentioned. Uh, to do that, you, you probably need to ask your students how they heard about you. That's quite an important thing to put in your application forms. Not a lot of, not a lot of institutions do it, which is a big miss in, in my opinion. The other way to do it is more conventional means. Um, you know, you can search certain hashtags that are popular. Um, you could search potential influences in certain areas. So, for instance, if you are you know, a school based in a certain region of the world, like Europe, like Anglo-American University, the influencer was sending them traffic was a student at their school, 
but her creator mission, if you like, was to educate students in America how affordable an education in Europe could be. Her whole account was built around this. And, you know, for that school, it's happy days because her creator um, missions completely aligned with that university. So, yeah, I mean, you can search hashtags, but also just look and see what insight you can get from your student body. Are they mentioning these key people? And if they are, you want to pin them down quite quickly and get them into a partnership because tons of value i mean this you know this campaign that they did with this influencer in a single year like the return investments like 900 percent. it's it's crazy you don't get that from a google ad yeah 100 percent. and it's a good it's a good point and thank you for sharing that now another way to support these individuals that i've learned by having a conversation with eddie francis i don't know if you know him he was the he was the marketer at Dillard University when I interviewed him a couple of months ago, and he started mm-hmm. something called Write Your Legacy Strategy and Campaign, which is students and alumni, they share their their experience about their time at Dillard with prospective students. And he mentioned the importance of um, having brand guidelines when you you know partner with these influencers or these student ambassadors. What, what are your thoughts on that? Given those, for example, that person that you just mentioned in Prague with the with that influencer, do you think she, she has brand guidelines or just she just go as she pleases? I mean, she'll probably have some sort of guidance from the university on how she talks about them. But the reason that uh, initiative worked was because she was already sending them students. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so... It, there is probably a risk there if you you approach an influencer and you're waving your own brand guide uh, guidelines at them that they might be turned off by that and that you know i'm thinking of myself as a creator and when i do sponsorships if someone tries to pin me down in their own tone of voice it's you kind of know early on it's not going to work and you know this is the value of these things i guess um if you look at how uh, brands have changed in recent years you you know, the, the most desired sort of career route for young people used to be to go into the big corporations and stuff. And now the aspiration is to, you know, be be an individual. These creator brands are like the the thing that we hold up as as true and the goal. And that's because, that's because society's changed and we started to value the individual and a bit more of a chaotic approach to business rather than, you know, the, the corporate line. And if you look at how these, these brands succeed, it, it's almost like, Hmm, best way to describe it so if you've got a brand guidelines maybe it's like a decentralized brand strategy that you need so if you connect with these individuals that have these influencing powers and there's those audiences you need to be flexible to a degree that they could be sending you people prospects whatever you want to call it in your own in their own way yeah. um you know they know their audience and that's the the valuable thing here isn't it because mm-hmm. you can go out to google and you can go out to you know social media sites like facebook and drop you know, $10,000, $20,000, that's fine. Or, or you can go to someone who's got a really specific audience who knows how to talk to that audience that overlaps with what you want to. And for me, I'd probably always lean to the uh, the influence of the on the inside of the creator and how to talk with people. So, yeah, it's a hard one to get right because you want to be represented, but there's no point being represented if it's not going to appeal to anyone. That's so true. And like you said, they know their audience and their audience knows them. So if yep. you put in brand guidelines to tell them how to talk, they recognize that there's something fishy here, something's wrong, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, uh, I'm sure there's a few cases, and I can think of a couple off the top of my head where 
universities have hired in student influencers to talk about their uni but the influencer didn't go to university so it and it all backfires yep. i don't know why we do it to ourselves <laughs> um so yeah i think placing trust in these people is probably the best way to go and if you've got a good partnership i think you'll be fine you just need to iron these things out at the beginning and be comfortable with that sort of relationship Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let's shift to community marketing, community marketing real quick. Uh, how do you identify the right communities to engage with when prom- promoting an institution? Yeah, I mean, it. yeah, it's, it, I, I, I think the first thing you need to ask yourself is how, how are you going to insert yourself into that community? Um, I mean, think about it. If like if, if a community is almost like this sort of desert island, right? Or island in the sea and if you just rock up there one day sort of telling people what you do and trying to insert yourself into it it ain't going to go well right <laughs> they're going to ask you to leave so i think the the first thing to do is yeah do your research and work out what the audience fit is and you can tell that by not you know getting involved in the community you can usually just see it from like a bird's eye view can't you um but when it comes to engaging with this community, you probably shouldn't start out by promoting what you're about. I think the first um, principle you should deploy is, you know, thinking about the audience who live there, you know, what what would they find valuable? Um, and I'd probably argue, just like a content marketing strategy, if, if you're trying to get influence in these places and be someone who is respected there, you're looking at between six and 18 months, right? You know, this is how long these things take. And, you know, trust can't be rushed. Um, mm. And I certainly can't think of any good um, marketing strategies that have kind of started by just kind of hitting the community on the head until they make a decision and eventually go with you. Could you spam them? Um, so like with content marketing, it's a slow build for me. Um, so yeah, I'd work out firstly, what's important to that community, try and offer that in some sort of format. So you're respected and then further down the line when you need to about the ask, it's more likely to be received. Uh, yes, yes. So, slow and steady. So what are, what are some of the strategy that higher ed marketers can use to build a strong relationship with these communities slowly? I mean, if you think of um, the stuff that I do with my my business, I mean, I, I'm hyper-focused on just delivering value to my audience every day. So, you know, if you're trying to connect with, you know, young people who have an interest in I don't know, you know, creative, creative writing or, or something along those lines, you know, can you offer, um, you know, maybe smaller package piece of the content that help them be, be better at that. So if you join into a, a student community or a community interested um, in, in taking on like an English degree or a creative writing degree, can your university package up a series of short courses, other residentials, all of which you'd offer like for a lower price or for, or for free just to help them explore that side of themselves and see if that's a good fit. And, you know, naturally if they feel you are a good fit when it comes to applying, they're probably more likely to think of you. And, you know, when I think about things like this, I, you know, I think of East Carolina university, they recognize that a lot of young people want to go into the creator economy. So they partnered with Mr. Beast to create a creator course that trains young people how to, how to do that. So you've got an existing community of content creators of, now, young people interested in the creator economy and you have an example of a university partner with an influencer in that space to create something of value so the idea is they do that course they can do it from anywhere in the world um you know it's uh it, it's it's charged but it's not the cost of a full mm-hmm. uh, full program 
And for the university, the benefit is that it's an on-ramp to recruitment. So students who do that course, they then, um, you know, they're more likely to go on to study a full-time, um, full-cost program at the institution. And you know, the, the university wouldn't have succeeded unless they partnered with a, a creator or someone respected in that sort of space to, to do that. So that's a, a good way to kind of make your make your in. And that uses the power of the individual and people as well, doesn't it? Rather than just going in for the campaigning route. Absolutely. Yeah, you give that value and you give that you, you mentioned that on your uh, on your LinkedIn page before that try before you buy sort of yeah. thing. You know, it's not yeah. like it's full on. I am admitting myself to this institution for four years or whatever it is. Um, I'm going to try it out, see if I like it, see if I'm a good mission fit, see if I'm a good cultural fit mm -hmm. and then I, I can make that decision. And I also like the strategy that you have with your newsletter that you continuously give that value without having that hard sale in it. And that's what I did when I offered that JetGPT GPT um, webinar with you, Bart, Troy, and Caroline. As you mentioned, right, I had this third-party uh, moderator. There was nobody from our company except yeah. me, but I didn't pitch anything. So there's nothing about our product in there. It was yeah. more about just adding value to the community, higher community on a topic that's really hot and relevant right now. And that way, just built that goodwill uh, with the audience, whether they go with us or not, but at least I got my brand in front of them, showing mm -hmm. goodwill and showing that I'm able to collaborate with other creators, just to help them on their journey as is as we embark on an adventure in generative AI right now. So that's yeah. that, that's that's good. I, I really wish more brands would think the same way, um, because as a brand, typically you have buying power and you have the you know the infrastructure and the the tools. And hopefully the audience as well to give creators and thought leaders these platforms. And I just think that's a much better way to be thinking about, like you said, webinars or various events than, you know, what it's like. Sometimes you join a webinar and you, you're sitting there 10 minutes before you actually get through to the content. And it's just not a way to do it in 2023. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about social media a little bit because we're both on LinkedIn. Um, how does social media fit into uh, your content strategy and how do you leverage it to engage the higher ed audience? Yeah. Um, if you, if you go on LinkedIn, you post about products, people just think you're trying to sell them something. Right. And it's a shame because sometimes your product can actually add value to people, but it's just not the way to do it. And, you know, what I've discovered is, you know, if you're publishing content that articulates uh, someone's problem you know, shows them that you hear them and you recognize some of the the troubles or the, you know, the aspirations that they have day to day, you know, that's the fastest route to, to growing trust. Mm. Um, and I, you know, let me be clear. I'm not just doing it to grow trust and then sell something to someone, right? <laughs> just, um, I'm, I'm doing it because I've experienced these issues myself. And as I said at the beginning, that I, I kind of want people to be able to dip into LinkedIn, take a little bit of insight and then, you know, make their, make their day just a little bit better. If they can just like take an idea and implement it, amazing, right? Um, I think the other key thing to remember these these channels is they offer incredible scale. Um, you know, digital is all about this revolutionary, like digital distribution channel, okay? And, you know, in the past, if you thought about thought leadership and getting yourself known, you had to go to events, stand on a booth, hope someone would come by, or you'd pay a lot of money to go and speak somewhere. But, you know, you can go into LinkedIn now and you can just get in front of an audience every day. 
And, and the way I think about it is that, yeah, I, I go to events and I think they're really valuable, but they're only valuable because I've built that incredible network on, on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So I can go onto LinkedIn and do a keynote speech every day. I don't need to go through um, these, these gatekeepers anymore. And if only people understood the power of that, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's been transformational for my business. I mean, the newsletter has been amazing, right? Um, but actually going into a discovery network every day and sharing what you know, it just helps highlight uh, to people what you want to be known for, how you can add value. So when they are ready to buy, they they just reach out to you. I, I don't do any campaigns. I don't run any ads. Um, yeah. People reach out to me when they they know I can fix a fix a problem. And then at that point, I'm happy to help. And I don't want to be a pushy person. So I'd rather them do it that way. Yeah, you've, you've gained a lot of earned media through your approach. Mm. And that's like one more time to, to refer back to our um, panel discussion because we just had that together. It's because of our mutual connections on on LinkedIn. I didn't know you. I mean, I saw your content, but I didn't have a relationship with you yeah. on, until um, Bart Kaler invited you or asked you to come on the on the JetGPT uh, panel discussion. That's how we formed a, a relationship that way. And that's how you got in front of 160 um, higher ed yep. people that may have not heard about you in, in the past. So that's also relevant right there. So if you continuously show up, other people see you that may want you in their event to have you speak. And you don't even have to leave your home um, to do so. Nope. Nope. I can stay in my Nintendo room. So <laughs> exactly. Happy days. <laughs> um, so as we close the episode here, what is one important lesson if you, you have learned over the course of your marketing career that you can share with the audience? Um, I, I, I mean, the massive unlock for me was just audience first. Um, I mean, we spend so much time thinking about campaigns and interrupting people that uh, I think we we forget that we don't like that ourselves. Um, so, you know, starting out with content marketing, I, I think I learned that patience is important. You know, you've, you've got to earn those relationships. And, uh, you know, if you actually think about your audience and put their problems first and give them the value that they need, they're, they're more likely to trust you as that person they get in touch when, when they need to. Um, purchase a product when they need a service and at the moment we don't measure that way um you know we measure typically on the performance of individual campaigns and i don't think it's the way to go i, I think you need to be patient i think you need to put out value as often as you can and then you measure your campaigns holistically overall so yeah i think content marketing and thinking audience first have been the, the key unlocks for me absolutely i totally agree with that so we've talked a lot about education here on this episode today. What are two books you recommend anyone should read to become a better, better marketer? Um, okay. I'm going to try and make my toys not fall down on top of me here. <laughs> so for me, there's two. This is um, essentially a book to freedom if you're a content creator. Um, my business wouldn't exist without this. This is Content Inc. by Joe Polizzi. It looks at the frameworks and structures that you need to build a content business, um, how to look at revenue streams, how to make it profitable. Uh, and it, it really does help you rethink how you can build a, a business differently from the ground up using only content as your, your way that you generate revenue. So if anyone's listening to this and they want to do that, then yeah please go, go and buy that book um the other one which i read a few years ago now but it's all stuck with me is marketing rebellion by mark schaefer 
this looks a lot at uh, the customer now being the marketer and you can probably see how this overlaps with like peer-to-peer and community marketing this is a real staple and it gives all kinds of case studies how brands have built a profile through listening to their customers putting their customers front and center and you know it's actually published in 2019 but it's uh, yeah 2019 but it's still as relevant then as it uh, it is today so yeah there's many more i could recommend but those are two of my my sort of pillar books if you're you're looking for a bit of reading very good. Another one by Joe Paluzzi. I just published Brian Piper's episode today, and nice. he's the co-author of the epic um, content marketing book with Joe Paluzzi. So yeah. Joe Paluzzi is the guy, I guess. So I have to... Content, he he certainly is. He's been doing this since, I think it's 2009, he went into content marketing, took content marketing institute full time. He sold the business since then, but yeah, utter thought leader, influential person, uh, changed my life. Awesome. Wonderful. One more question. How can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you or your company? Um, LinkedIn, just have a chat with me. I practically live there. Um, or you can go to my website, which is educationmarketer.co.uk. Wonderful. Well, Kyle, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much. No, it's been great. Thank you. All right. Take care.